Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast brought to you by the Association of Grey's Inn students here at the Honourable Society of Grey's Inn London. I am your host, Alana Hughes, and this is an accessible conversation about everything one may encounter on the road to the wig and gown. Hi Louisa, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi Alana. So our theme today is social mobility and accessing the bar against all of the odds regardless of your background, where you come from, what you've done before the bar and what brings you to the bar. So could you please just introduce yourself to our listeners before we get going? Yeah, so I'm Louisa. I'm currently doing the BPTC at BPP. I'm a member of Grey's Inn and my interest in law focuses around human rights, police, medical areas. And what is it that you think brought you to the bar? That's a tricky question. I wanted to do something that was quite practical and I really loved studying law and I've been in the university for a couple of years so I wanted to combine that interest with something that's quite practical and had a use in society. For some of our listeners who are maybe listening at the very beginning of law school or maybe they're studying their A-levels thinking of law school, the bar seems obviously so far off as it did whenever we were in that position ourselves. In your own words, how would you describe what being a barrister is? Because if you Google what a barrister is, um, the result that you get doesn't really tell you what it is. That tells you that it's an advocate for rights in the higher courts. So in your own words, what, what, what is a barrister to you? Well, for me, as you said, I didn't really know what being a barrister was. And it's not something that I thought of doing when I was 17 or even when I was at university, to be honest. I yeah, graduated in 2013 and it's only in the past couple of years where I've met barristers and they've told me about their area of work and I thought, oh, that sounds quite cool. Maybe I could do that. And I went to see them in court. And the idea of seeing someone stand up and being able to articulate something on behalf of somebody else and help to change laws and influence how laws work in the UK is something that seemed really important and quite fun as well at the same time. So for people listening who maybe aren't sure what a barrister is but think based on what you've just said that they might be interested would your advice be go and see some in action go to a court a public place sit in the viewing gallery and just watch and see if it's something that you think you'd be interested in and then pursue it from there yeah definitely I think there's a huge amount you can learn from just sitting in court watching people and then going up to barristers and talking to them for me one of the events that Grace had in education day last year was so helpful I ended up speaking to a barrister afterwards and she was so encouraging and she said, you know, come with me for a few days, shadow me and see what it's like. And that had such a big impact in reassuring me that this was something that I could do. I was still unsure, even 18 months ago, whether this was something that I should pursue. But it was having shadowed a barrister and them reassuring me that this is something I could do that really encouraged me to, to apply. Social mobility is our theme today. And would you mind just chatting me through your background and what it is that makes you fall within the theme of social mobility in terms of where you come from and your your upbringing? So I was born in the very glamorous or not so glamorous seaside resort of Blackpool, um, which is now more famous thanks to Strictly Come Dancing. Very so much so. So that's quite fun. Um, I grew up there with my mum and two sisters. My mum's a midwife. She worked at Blackpool Hospital for about 20 years. 
And then when I was 11, I went to a state school in Lancaster. And that had quite a big impact on me. A lot of my friends that I made there, their parents were lecturers at Lancaster University. So the students were quite interested in studying, quite engaged, and I think that rubbed off on me quite a bit. And my mum was also quite supportive in terms of encouraging me to just get good grades A-level, and then after that she said, it's up to you, you can do what you want. So I met uh, some friends who were also applying to Cambridge, and I thought, why not? Let's give it a go. And I applied and managed to get in. Okay, so talk me through that more. Was that scary? Was that... Did you sort of just enter it as in like, I'm just throwing myself into this, nothing to lose, if it happens for me, it happens for me, or how did you kind of view it at the time? At the time, I was quite clueless, and I think that was helpful, probably. So when I was 17, I went to Mexico on a school trip. Going to Mexico influenced my decision about where I wanted to apply for university. I had stumbled across a Cambridge booklet that outlined different courses and I suddenly saw this really weird course called Land Economy and I thought this sounds really cool. It's one of the very few people I think who would see that <laughs> course. I think yeah that's for me. <laughs> yeah I mean well, when I read about it I was like this is law, this is economics, this is the environment and at the time I applied to do economics at other universities. As soon as I got to Cambridge I realised I hated economics and I loved law but I didn't know anything about law when I was applying to university. It didn't seem like an obvious option to me because I didn't really know what it was. But as soon as I got to Cambridge and I studied public law, I just thought it was fascinating. It's all about politics, it's all about politicians. It was so, it was just really interesting. So Oxbridge, obviously at the moment, is a super hot topic in terms of social mobility. I mean, I read The Guardian a lot, but The Guardian does write <laughs> a lot about Oxbridge and the role that it's playing today in the UK in social mobility. The role that it plays, but the role that private schools also play, and that's something we'll come on to. In terms of your experience at Oxbridge as a state school educated person from, you know, a single parent family, not from a legal background, and um, your mum was a, mi a midwife, what was your perspective? What did you take away? When I first got to Cambridge, I didn't really like it, to be honest with you. I was a little bit overwhelmed by the environment. I hadn't found people that I really connected to, that I was from a similar background to. But I think after the first year, after I'd found a group of friends that I really liked, I felt more settled in it. And I grew to really like the course. And by my final year, I, I really enjoyed it. I was surprised when I got there, the number of people who had been to state schools. And I ended up doing something called an access bus over Easter where we'd go around state schools and talk about the process that Cambridge had, and Clare College in particular, in terms of admitting students. So they would look at the grades that you got for GCSE and A-levels and compare them to the average grades of students in your year. And I actually think that that's something that a lot of people don't know about and does more to help social mobility than people might think. Okay, so then you graduated in 2013, am I right? Yes, that's right. But the next four years of your life were super interesting <laughs> well in my opinion anyway and um, from what I've heard so tell me what what happened after graduation what did you do how did you fill your time so when I was at Cambridge I applied for a scholarship to Yale University and the scholarship was called a Mellon Fellow and they gave you full funding to do a master's degree at Yale and funding for, a li for living costs and that was really important for me because a lot of scholarships don't give you money towards living costs as well as an academic scholarship. 
So I was fortunate enough to get this scholarship and it meant that after my third year at university, I went straight to the States. Before I went to Cambridge, I hadn't thought about going to America. But in my second year of university, I went to Texas and did some death penalty work. And I absolutely loved it. And for me, that was a really critical point when I saw how law could be used to really change people's lives. And I was surrounded by people who were really inspirational. And one of the people in the office had been to Yale. And I really looked up to her and it was an office filled with women, five women, who were all doing death penalty work. And I thought that was amazing. So that really influenced my scholarship application to Yale. And then I stayed there, stayed at Yale for four years. Something I've just picked up on what you've just said is the amount of times you said funding. So funding is yeah. so key. And that's something that we should not be afraid to talk about. We should be encouraging people to apply for every ounce of funding available to them. Because when you don't come from a background where funding is a given, funding isn't something mm -hmm. that you need to worry about, it's the opposite. It's a stress and it's on yeah. your mind all the time. And you're thinking, how am I going to pay for this? How yeah. am I going to afford this? Particularly so when we move on to talk about the BPTC, which we'll do now. So we're both studying the BPTC. We're both in London at the minute. Um, Louise is with BPP, I'm with City. We're both with Greys and we both got scholarships from Greys. And I don't. I think it's fair to say that I certainly wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my scholarship. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't be doing the BPTC if I didn't have a scholarship and I didn't have a pupillage award as well. Because those two factors needed to come together in order for me to afford to live in London. You know, the course is £20,000, Living in London, you need to be able to pay for rent and transport, food. There are so many other extra costs that come into it. And I also could rely on using some savings from working. As I said, I graduated in 2013, so I have had a couple of years where I can save money. And that's been really influential to me in terms of deciding whether to do the bar course this year or not. And in terms of scholarships, all four ends are absolutely fantastic. But I think one of the main reasons that I chose Grey's was because it is so small. Um, or it is much smaller than the other ends, although not this year, because we have had the most applicants for BPTC scholarships out of all four ends, I believe, this year. I'll need to double check that before I put this in the podcast, <laughs> but I'm I'm nearly sure that's the case. And I think that's got a lot to do with Gray's outreach work and um, the work that they do for accessibility and social mobility in terms of getting people interested in the bar. However, one of the major pros for me for Gray's was the residential scholarship. And no other inn apart from Lincoln's offered a residential scholarship and Lincoln's is obviously then the opposite of Gray's in the sense that it's the biggest so I knew I didn't want to go to the biggest inn if anything I wanted to go to the smallest so that ticked the box for me for Gray's and then the residential scholarship was just the cherry on top and I thought to myself if I can get that I can do the VPTC if I don't get that I don't think I can do the VPTC because how on earth am I going to come straight from undergrad already loaded with debt into living in London without any sort of financial backing underneath me for that. So that really was the turning point for me. And I think that's so important to be open and honest about when you're chatting to people who are thinking about the bar is that if you don't have the money, you are not alone. So many of us don't have the money to make this happen. The money that we're using to do it is not ours. We have got it from a funding source that's saw potential in us um, and they will equally see potential in you and I think that's an encouragement that we need to be passing on to people do you agree yeah definitely and I think I would always encourage people to just apply for as many things as possible 
that's one thing that I have done for a number of years now is just keep applying, send letters, send emails. There are often small pots of funding for different things, whether it's a summer internship or a scholarship for the BPTC. And talk to people. I think a lot of people are quite open about the fact that this is very expensive and it's quite a risky decision to make. You have to be able to calculate, can I make this decision? Can I trust myself that this makes sense for me? Because you do need to invest a year into your life and the uncertainty that goes with it. Your people are just very competitive. And I think you need to be able to make a calculated decision. And maybe if you don't get scholarship this year round, then take some years out. I know a lot of people who are coming to the bar, having worked for a few years or having done a course part time. And I think that can also be really helpful in terms of the application and increasing your confidence. And confidence is something that I think is really important often for people who haven't gone to private schools, who haven't been trained in how to debate and have done vast amounts of public speaking. Having confidence in your own abilities is really important. I'm not saying it's not a risk that's worth taking, I think it really is, and, I, and people should definitely do the BPC and apply for scholarships. But for me, practically, I couldn't afford to live in London unless I applied for pupillage and had secured pupillage, as well as having a drop-down scholarship. I needed to have some amount of funding that would support me in my living costs whilst I trained. One of our listeners has sent in some comments and I think it's so interesting what they've said. They've talked about the BPTC being an unaffordable course in itself, which it absolutely is. We're talking about the guts of £20,000 for a six, seven month course. This listener has also though pointed out the fact that there are enormous financial barriers to even doing it. So you're looking at £150 to set the online BCAT, you're looking at £65 to simply submit the application form. If you're applying for scholarships from your providers, you're looking at the travel costs for the interviews for those scholarships sometimes. You're looking at travel costs for the interviews for BPTC scholarships from your in, unless your in's are willing to take into account your situation financially. So a lot of people surely are put off before they even start because of the initial financial hurdles. So how do we encourage those people to to take that risk to just to just find a way to do it there's no other way unfortunately and that's a reality and i think that's what needs to change is that there's nothing that we can say in terms of practical advice right here right now based on the situation and that oh you can go to this person for help or you can go to this person for help for those initial burdens you can't no you you can't and there's they are there are a number of hurdles that are, are in place right now in terms of applying but I do think they represent the process ahead in terms of pupillage the, the numbers are stacked against you and you have to be able to calculate all of this and take these things into account when you're making this decision. In terms of taking that initial leap and making the decision to study the BPTC, making the decision to apply, I really firmly believe that you just have to back yourself, you just have to do it you just have to maybe close your eyes and not think too hard about the money initially and just back yourself that you're going to be able to do it. And you, if you don't throw your hat in the ring, then how else are you going to know? Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems in terms of social mobility is that people from non-traditional backgrounds often don't believe that they are good enough themselves. You don't have the instilled confidence that some people get from private schools, from having lo done loads of public speaking competitions and debating competitions and having a real belief that you can achieve what you want to achieve. So I think it's really important in terms of social mobility that people don't self-select themselves out of the race 
before it's even begun. And sometimes I'm pretty astounded about the level of confidence people have when they have come from private schools and I sit back and I'm quite reserved in a classroom setting. And you're also thinking to yourself, based on what? You know, what is, sometimes you're like, what, where does this confidence come from and where can I get some? Yeah, they just, yeah. you know, people who have, who have that sort of background have it instilled from day one that they're capable and that they're going to do very, very good things in their lives. But one of the things that I find really reassuring is that actually we can learn that. We can teach ourselves to have more confidence. One, one of the programmes that Grey's Inn does vocalise, I found to be really helpful in terms of improving my confidence in public speaking and debating. And there was one student in my class who would get up every week and be able to deliver a perfect debate and have his three-pointed arguments all planned and set out. And I went up to him and I asked him, how do you do this? How can I learn from you? I'm so impressed. I'm so amazed. And he said, look, I've done this debate 10 times before. I'm so confident because I've done it. I know the material. All this is, is practice. So practice public speaking, practice your interviews before you have them. Have the confidence to ask for help. I think that's something that's really important. It's not a sign of weakness saying that you don't know how you can afford something. You don't know what the process is like because the process is really opaque. You need to be able to ask people and ask them for help. You mentioned Vocalise, so you did Vocalise last year with yes. Grayson. Um, just for our listeners who don't know what Vocalise is, can you summarise what the programme is and what it involved? Vocalise is a student-run programme that's facilitated by Grayson, where students who want to be barristers or are training to be barristers go into prisons and teach debating. And it's a really wonderful programme because the first part of it you're also learning yourselves how to debate and you go through a teacher tech training program. In the second part, you go into prisons and you teach a debating program. And it's really a, a wonderful experience. I found it really enjoyable and rewarding. You can see a huge amount of progress and a lot of students really like it. People are, are so skilled and so talented in the prisons and being able to sell things and being able to talk and helping them structure their thoughts in terms of an argument can be really helpful. And in fact, some of the, the prison officers often say to us, oh, you can tell this person's gone through vocalise because now they're so kind of chatty whenever we're having a conversation and so argumentative. Going back to the confidence point, I think the phrase fake it till you make it is really useful actually. And I would just encourage people to, to go for it. And even when you're feeling a bit wobbly and you're not sure about something, just go for it. I feel wobbly all the time, wobbly to the point where I'm like, did someone make a mistake? Did someone make a mistake in giving me my degree certificate? Did someone make a mistake in giving me my BTC scholarship? Did someone make a mistake in giving me somewhere to live in London? Did someone make a mistake even letting me on this course in the first place? And that's totally natural, I think. Yeah, it's totally natural. I still, I still don't believe that I graduated. Fortunately, I have a certificate to show that. And I still am also crippled by this idea that not good enough or that you've tricked someone into giving you a scholarship or, or pupillage but I think you have to constantly remind yourself that that you are good enough and to, to keep that belief. Louisa thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me is there anything you'd like to say just as in terms of a closing remark? No thanks Alana I think it's really important to just talk to more, more and more people about this and to be open about your own personal journey and to not pretend that you come from a particular background. And often it can be it can be a strength, showing that you haven't sailed through life and you haven't gone to a really expensive independent school and showing that you have some grit and resilience 
that you've gone through different hurdles in your life can be a really important factor and you can use that experience. So I would encourage everyone to reflect on their own background and see how they can frame it as a strength. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today to listen to Louisa talk about her journey to the bar. I have been Alana Hughes, your host, and you can follow us on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI. I would like to say a massive thank you to Louisa for coming along, to Grey's Inn for all the support that they have given to the podcast, and your music today has been by Scott Holmes, track name Our Big Adventure. <laughs>